Well, uh, good morning, church. Um, it was such a blessing on a Wednesday. I like to move a lot, so my friend, that I mean. So it was such a blessing just to double tap on Alpha. It was such a blessing on Wednesday. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to brag and say that I was in one of the best tables. Uh, we don't do that, Mary. Let's be humble. <laughs> and and it was. It was such a blessing uh, to be with everyone. And uh, I think, oh, Kosiam, hey, it's going to be a problem. Uh, and, just, and just to be, an, uh, to be with everyone and just to get to meet people, to get to hear people's stories. I think, I think that's the biggest takeaway, just to hear people's experiences of God um, apart from your own. So it was such a blessing. And we, we, we are so glad that this past 10 weeks that that theme is going to continue and for you who's not on alpha this time who perhaps you didn't invite your friends you're not part of alpha let it be encouragement that next time when we say alpha all of us we are on all right so uh this morning we we are going to read the word of god and before we do that can we pray so let us pray Father God, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for your word this morning. Uh, we pray, Father, that as we read your word, may your word, Lord Jesus Christ, um, glorify you, my Father. May it open our eyes, my Jesus Christ, to the truth of who you are, my Lord. And may it shape us, may it mold us, my Father, so that it may bring glory and honor to you. My Father, we surrender the reading of your word into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, for the past two weeks, all of, all, I think for, for the longest time, we are on the look, on the book of Luke, on the gospel according to Luke. And I've got to say, it's, it's one of the coolest gospels. Uh, I told them if Sherlock Holmes, right? So, there's this novel that I once read about Sherlock Holmes where he's such a brilliant guy, well-written. And, and one of the things that I love about him is his character is a person that looks at the small details. He goes into the small details and makes up bigger stuff with the small details. And I feel that as I'm reading the book of Luke and meditating on the book of Luke, that's what is happening. Luke, Luke takes all these small details. Nothing is missed. If Luke says that the sea or the waves was, was, was blowing against the ship, that means something. If Luke says there was somebody there, there is something all the time. As, as, as we read the book of Luke. So this morning, we, we will continue with that theme. And for the past three weeks, this is one of the third and the final message that is titled, Lord Overall. So for the past two weeks, we have been looking at the fact that Jesus Christ showed his power. He showed that he's Lord over nature. Well, how did he show that? He showed that by quieting the storm, right? So we've all uh, heard about that. And last week, Sunday, we have seen the lordship of Jesus Christ over demonic possession, over sort of like the dark spiritual realm, if I may call it. So we saw him casting out demons, a legion of demons in a man that was suffering. So today we continue with that theme. And the final message is titled, Jesus, Lord over sickness, right? So we're going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 42, uh, verse 56. So make sure that you are there. Let us open our Bibles. And uh, yeah. 
So I'm going to try not to read the Bible for myself here and just read it for everybody. It says, verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. If you are somebody that likes to highlight your Bible, I would, I would highlight the crowd welcome him because we're going to touch on that. For they were all waiting for him. Verse 41. There came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of a synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus, and, and Jesus, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on, physici on physicians, she could not be healed by anybody. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who, who, was, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you, and they are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And verse 48, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49, While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead, and do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be made well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something be given for her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but she charged them all not to tell anyone what he had, uh, what had happened. Now, if we remember very well last week, uh, while Jesus was on this place, uh, I forgot the name of the place. So while Jesus was on this place where he was helping a man that was demon-possessed, so the Bible says after the people, they saw this man free and delivered, one of uh, fear and trembling came upon them. And the Bible says in their fear, they asked Jesus Christ to go away from them. So they chased away Jesus. So that's, that's how the story ended. It ended with these people of this city rejecting Jesus. And one of the things that Luke says in verse 40, that on the other side, now we don't know who told people to wait for Jesus, but we are told in verse 40 that on the other side, uh, it was total opposite of the other side. While the other side rejected Jesus, on the other side, the Bible says there was a crowd that was ready to welcome him. So it says that, the crowd, was, they were welcoming him, and they were all uh, waiting for him. And as I've said, I want to highlight something about the crowd. It says that there, were, there was a certain expectation that the crowd had from Jesus Christ. 
So they were waiting for him because there was a certain expectation that they had. Perhaps they were, they were, they, they were expecting a miracle because Jesus was starting to do miracles. So they're expecting to receive something from the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that Luke does very well, he sort of like portrays the crowd as like a side character. So Nadine spoke about stories. So in the story, there is, it's made up of different characters. So Luke portrays the crowd as not just a group of people, but sort of like a side, a side character that, that matters in the story of Jesus. Because you always see them. If you remember Rob, when Rob was speaking about the parables, there was a crowd there. Immediately when the crowd came, Jesus spoke in parables. So we see this, this crowd over and over and over again. So even in this story, it's not different. The crowd is there. Is waiting for Jesus Christ, is expecting something for him. But 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 the irony here is that out of all the crowd, out of all the people who are expecting to receive something from Jesus, Luke only speaks about two people. Luke only mentions two people out of the whole crowd. Now we don't know how many people were there. We don't know the number of the crowd, but what we know is that out of all the people that were in the crowd, Luke talks about two people. And one of those people was a man named Jairus. Uh, Jairus had a daughter that was sick. Uh, she was 12 years old, and the Bible says that she was sick and dying. And, and, and Luke says that Jairus was a, was a ruler of a synagogue. And I presume that as a ruler of a synagogue, he was a man that didn't, didn't lack influence. He was a man that was very wealthy. I believe he was a man that could afford his daughter, one of the best uh, physicians that money could buy in that time. But, but the thing is, with all of these things, with all of that wealth, with all of that influence, it says that he could not help his daughter. Jairus got to a point whereby he recognized that I can't help my daughter with all my influence, with all my power, with all these things that I have. I can't help my daughter. I need someone. I need Jesus. I need a Savior. I need a Lord. I need someone that is, is, is greater than any physician that I've been through. I need someone that is, is greater than, than my influence. I need someone that is far greater. And of course, he recognized Jesus as that person that is greater, as that person that could help him in the time of his need. And, and, and I think all of us have, have those situations in our life. All of us have to reach a point where we say, you know what, I have a situation in my life, but this situation can't be solved by money. But this situation can't be solved by my power. This situation can't be solved by anything else. This situation can be solved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I think that's one of the things that, 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 that I love about Jairus. Uh, he, the suffering of his daughter brought him to a place where he understood that, you know what, this, this situation needs someone greater than I. These situations need Jesus Christ, and that's why he went to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'm always amazed, and I even wrote in my notes, I'm always amazed that we see this pattern in biblical faith, that whenever people had a problem, they didn't, they didn't run away from Jesus Christ, but rather they ran towards Jesus Christ. And it's the total opposite of us today, if you agree with me. Sometimes you meet people and you ask them, but why do I no longer see you in church? Or why do I no longer see you in community groups? And people will tell you that the reason I don't come to church is because I have a problem. Or the reason I don't come to community group is because I'm still sorting out my life. But that's not what we see in biblical faith. That's not what we see in the Bible. In the Bible, we see that whenever people had a problem, they ran towards Jesus. 
they went and found Jesus. Even the crowd themselves, as much as Luke doesn't say much about them, but they went and sought Jesus Christ. And I think maybe that's something that we can learn about Jairus. Maybe that's something that Jairus can teach us, to, uh, can teach us this morning. That in times of problems, in times that we have questions in our lives, in times when we are uh, sorting out our lives, as we like to say, the best place or the best person who can help us do that is Jesus Christ himself. He's the one that can help us to sort our life. He's the one that we should, we should be taking our burdens. I mean, he also says that if you are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. So he, he, he should be the one that we are taking our problems and, and bringing to him. He should be one that we are taking whatever questions we have, whatever situations that we have in our lives. He should be the one that we take them and we bring him uh, before his feet. And that's what Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, that's what Jairus did. And while Jesus uh, responds by, by, by going with, with Jairus, and if you read here in the story, uh, Luke tells us that there was no dialogue between Jesus and Jairus. Normally, Jesus, whenever, whenever people come to Jesus, Jesus will say something. But because the, 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 the conversations or the, the, the help that was needed was so immediate, Jesus didn't have the time to talk with Jairus. What did he do? He went to Jesus. His response was, was, was going with, with Jesus Christ. And while he was there, uh, I'm sorry, let me check here. He says that, so there was no response. Uh, Luke says that, so immediate, the, the, the response was immediate. That Luke records no dialogue between Jesus and Jairus. While Jesus responds by going with Jairus, all of a sudden Jesus stops and, and, and he says, someone has touched me. So what happens is that Jesus decides to go with Jairus. So while Jesus is going with Jairus, he immediately stops as the crowd is pressing around him, as Luke says. He immediately stops and says, someone has touched me. Which is very, very odd considering that there were a lot of people who were touching Jesus that day. There were a lot of people who were, I'm sure as he was walking, people they were grabbing around him. But what was so special about this touch what was so unique about this different about this touch that this person that we don't know touched Jesus so much that Jesus felt out of a crowd of so many people, Jesus Christ said to Peter, There is someone that touched me. Now, what had actually happened was that among this crowd, the second person that we learn about in our story is that amongst this crowd there was a woman that had a problem with an issue of blood that was suffering the same way her age, the age of, of the daughter of Jairus was 12 years old. And this woman as well had had this problem for 12 years. And it says that she had suffered greatly. She had suffered so much. Luke says that she had spent all that she had on physicians. She had, she had spent all her money. She had spent all that he had, she had, but with no help. So we see sort of like a, 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 sort of like a pattern here. Both, both this woman, both Jairus and, and this woman have a problem. And what happens? Both of them, they've tried many ways to solve their problems. They have tried in their own resources to solve their problems. But, but both of these people, after recognizing that both of them, both of the resources that they have, have no power to solve both of these problems, what is it that they do? They, both of them, they come to Jesus. Both of these people are kind of like brought together by their situations, they are brought together 
by the Lord Jesus Christ. So what did, she, what did this woman do? Luke tells us that she touched Jesus Christ behind. She touched him behind while she had suffered for so long. She believed in her heart. You know what? If I could, if I could meet this Jesus, if I could see this Jesus, and if I touch the fringe of his garment, if I just touch him, I just need to touch him. I don't need much from him. I don't need prayer from him. I don't need much from him, but I just need to come and touch him. This is a determination that she had in her heart. And this is exactly what she did. So immediately, with, with this faith that she had inside of her heart, she went and she touched Jesus. The touch was so great. The touch was so, I don't know how to put it. The touch was so, was so great that Jesus Christ felt it. He felt the touch because why, why did Jesus felt the touch? Jesus felt the touch because the touch was, just, was not just a normal touch. It was a touch of faith. It was a touch that comes from a place of faith. And that's what you have to understand is that uh, whenever we come to Jesus, Hebrews tell us, whenever we come to Jesus, we should come to Jesus by faith. Uh, Jesus is a type of person that responds to faith. So that's why when this woman touched him, he responded to faith and asked Peter, uh, well, who is it or who is this person that touched me? Now, one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves is, why unlike Jairus, this woman came behind Jesus and not in front? Because Jairus came in front of Jesus and knelt before him. But the Bible tells us, Luke tells us that this woman came from behind. But why did this woman came from behind. So one of the things that you have to understand is that this woman was not just dealing with, with like a physical sickness, but she also was dealing it in a spiritual sense. Now, if you have ever read the, 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 the Bible, you will understand that in the book of Leviticus, chapter 15, verse 24, one of the laws that God gives to Moses is that anybody who is in contact with blood, anybody who has touched blood, that person will not be allowed to be sort of like among people because that person, by the priest, the priest will, will declare that person unpure for a certain period of time. So the person needs to go for, for, to isolation for a certain period of time until that problem is over. Then they can come back and sort of like be joined together. So this woman had this problem. So she was not just dealing with the financial aspect or the physical aspects, but also she was dealing with the spiritual side of things because under the, the, the Leviticus laws, she was declared unclean spiritually. So that's one of the problems that for 12 years, this woman, I believe she was in, in, in total isolation because according to the Leviticus laws, she had no right to be among people because she was in a state of impurity. Now, if, if you and I remember, that means she left, she lived in isolation. And I, 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 I was thinking about this, that you and I, just two years ago, we lived in isolation. I don't know if you remember. Because of COVID, you and I were, were for a certain period, were in isolation. And you got to agree with me that that was very difficult. And one of the things that made people to be angry, people to adore, people fought, is because of the effects of the isolation. But this woman, for 12 years, because of, of, of her problems, because of her impurity, because of her uncleanliness, for 12 years, she was in isolation. She could not be with anybody. She could not come to church. She could not worship God. She could not be among people. She was just there in isolation. 
Now, you, you can imagine for 12 years living just in isolation and not being with anybody. Imagine for 12 years just having this guilt inside of you that you are unclean, that you are not worthy to be among people. That's one of the effects that this woman was dealing with. And that's the thing, is that as much as this woman went behind Jesus, so in that state, she went behind Jesus and she touched him because she felt ashamed. She felt just a sense of guilt, a sense of shame, and a sense of sort of like, I'm unclean. And she went, and she went behind of Jesus and she touched his garment. But as much as that act was considered sort of like a, a, a problem under, under the Leviticus laws, but Jesus Christ saw it as an act of faith. Jesus saw what that woman did as something that is, is, it comes from a place of faith. And because of that, it says that that woman was healed in that moment. And it says that when Luke tells us that Jesus asked the people, another thing that Jesus asked the people is that, who is this person that touched me? Now, Peter answered Jesus and said, there are a lot of people that are touching you. How can you, what do you mean that who is this person that touched you? So this woman was, was so in shame so much that even when she was healed, she, she, she chose to, to hide herself. She chose to, to remain in isolation. But after a period of time, after she, she was discovered, she, she came out and she told Jesus Christ what she had done. And how did Jesus Christ honor this woman? I believe that because of her impurity, because of what she felt inside of her heart, I believe she was even ashamed to tell Jesus Christ of what had happened. But instead of Jesus Christ shouting at this woman, because what that means is that this unclean woman coming to touch Jesus Christ, it will make Jesus Christ also unclean. But that, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead of shouting at this woman, how does Jesus treat this woman? It says that Jesus Christ uh, affirmed her faith publicly. Jesus Christ didn't humiliate the, 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 the woman even further. Instead, Jesus Christ commanded her faith. Instead, Jesus Christ lifted her faith as, as, and called her daughter. In doing so, what did Jesus do? Jesus Christ invited, commanded her faith and brought this woman in a place whereby she could be accepted by people. And one of the things that I wrote is that perhaps like that woman, you live this life of thinking that some of the messy stuff of your life will turn Jesus off. And I think that's, that's, that's all of us have those things in our lives. All of us have stuff in our life that when we think that maybe that stuff is going to turn Jesus off from my life. Perhaps it's something that you did in the past. Perhaps it's, it's the way that your life is. I don't know about you, but sometimes there are times in my life where I feel like, Jesus, I, I don't know. Jesus, I, I don't know why you love me. You know, there's, there are times in my life when I think, God, I'm, I'm such a mess. I don't know why you love me. But Jesus Christ is, is, is showing this woman that there is nothing, your impurity, your uncleanliness, what others say that is dirty for you, what others say is unclean for you, what, 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 what sort of like penalizes you in my, in my presence, I will not do that. I accept you as you are. And that's the thing about Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ accepts us as you are. There is nothing, I think it was Tom who says, there's nothing that will ever turn Jesus off. There is none of what you did in the past. There is, there is none of what you did even yesterday. There is nothing that you ever did even this morning that will turn Jesus off. Not even your thoughts, not even your negative thoughts that you have about yourself will turn Jesus Christ off. 
Jesus loves you. Jesus loves all of us. If ever there was a time that Jesus would disqualify someone, it was going to be that woman. Because that's what the law says. The law said that woman needed to be disqualified because she was unclean. But how did Jesus treat her? Jesus Christ commands her faith. Jesus Christ says, you are my daughter and I welcome you. Jesus adopts this unclean woman after she has manifested her faith. You and I, whatever we do, whatever we did, the stuff in our life that we feel that will ever turn Jesus off, it will never do that. Jesus Christ loves us so much, Pastor Lord. He loves us very, very much. I think it's Paul who says in the book of Romans that who can separate us from the love of Christ? That's what, that's what Paul says. It's a question. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? And Paul goes in, this, in these things, whether it's death, he goes in this list of things that will never separate. But in the end, he says, none of these things will ever separate us from the love of Christ, that was from the love of God that was manifested through Christ Jesus. And that's what I want to give you this morning. And perhaps that's a message that some of us need to hear this morning, is that nothing will ever turn Jesus off from you. None of your thoughts, none of the stuff that you think about yourself will ever turn Jesus Christ off. Jesus Christ loves you. And the same way he says to that woman, daughter, your faith has made you well and adopted her into the family of Christ. Each and every one of us, no matter the baggage that we have, no matter the mess that we have, Jesus Christ wants to adopt us and, makes us, and make us to be his children. Now, in verse 49, Luke tells us that while he was busy with all, this, or with all of this, someone from Jairus' house came and said, Master, your, uh, he says, don't bother the master because your daughter is dead. So while Jesus is busy commanding this woman and commanding her faith, he's busy with all this commotion, and Jairus is just standing there. A messenger comes from the house of Jairus and says, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter is dead. So in other words, what Luke does here is that the stakes go a little bit higher. Now at first, the, the, the girl was sick. Jesus can go and heal her. Perhaps that's what... That's what Jairus thought, uh, Jesus can come. Jesus is a healer, so he can come and heal my daughter. He has just healed someone right now. I believe while Jairus was, was, was looking at that situation with this woman and her being healed, even his faith was kind of like ramped up. Yes, my daughter is going to be healed. He's going to be healed. But now someone comes and says, uh -uh, your daughter is dead. Can you imagine the faith of Jairus? Can you imagine how Jairus felt when you heard that messenger? Don't trouble the teacher anymore because your daughter has passed away. And I asked myself, what could I have done if someone comes and says to me, someone has passed? What's the normal thing that we do? The normal thing that we do is we just give up. But that's not what Jesus Christ tells us. So one of the things that this messenger was saying, in other words, what the, one of the things that this messenger was saying was that don't bother Jesus anymore. Don't, don't bother, it's too late. There is nothing that could be done. This situation, now she has passed away. The situation is just, it's just hopeless. He was saying, hey, look, sickness is another thing, but death is something that is totally different. Right? Because that, that's, that's, the, that's the thing that we have. Okay, we can deal with sickness, but death, whenever we speak about death, you know, it's another thing. It's totally something totally different. We view death as the end of all things. So when, when, when this person says it's, it's over, 
In other words, we're saying, hey, man, sickness, Jesus can heal. But death, I don't think so. And sometimes that's, that's, that's the faith that we have. Sometimes we have those situations in our lives where we think, okay, Jesus can deal with this. Jesus can deal with this one. But then there's another situation where you're like, but this one, Yeesh, this is too much. I wonder if Jesus is going to be, be able to deal with this one. And maybe it's not death. Maybe it's a, it's a situation that you have in your life. I have had situations in my life where, okay, I believe that Jesus can deal with that. But immediately when it goes to something bigger, it's like, man, I'm not sure if, if God, you're, you're going to be able. I'm going to pray, but I'm not sure that you're going to be able to do this. That was the situation that was, that was happening in, in, in Jairus at that moment. This man came and said, your daughter is dead. Everything is gone. Uh, when I make an example, I remember when I was, one of the moments I had my own crisis of faith. Uh, I was in Pumalang. So there was someone that was sick. And someone came and asked us to go and pray for her. So we went and prayed for her. And sometimes when I went there, I was expecting someone that is, a bit, bit someone that is talking, you know. I had my own expectations of faith. That when I arrived there, okay, I'm going to find someone sick, but not, not a sick. And then when I arrived there, woo, uh, I find this, 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 this woman that, geez, she was, I think she was this close to dying. She was this close. And my faith just went, Phew. my faith just, Phew. and we arrived there and, you know, the family came and we were supposed to pray. And uh, I must say, even my prayer was embarrassing because it was not coming from a place of faith. It was my faith because of what I saw with my eyes. It was just hopeless. And I remember praying, we were praying for this person and I made a prayer said to God, my God, let your will be done. In other words, that, that was a cold word of saying, I don't believe. Yeah? Said, God, let your will be done. And, 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 and we left. And a couple of months passed, and I never saw this, 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 this family, and I never saw this woman. Her aunt, her aunt is the one that asked us to pray for her. And a couple of months passed. I think a period of six months passed. And one day I met uh, her aunt, and I was like, hey, how are you? And we greeted each other. And one of the questions that I ask, an embarrassing question that I ask, hey, how was the funeral? It's like, it's like, how was the funeral? It's like, she said, like, which funeral? I was like, embarrassing, right? It was so embarrassing. Embarrassing, very embarrassing. And I remember asking her, how was the funeral? I said, which funeral? And I explained of the person that we went to pray said no she's not she, she didn't pass away she recovered I said what she said no she recovered i was like are we talking about the same person here she said yep we are talking about the same person she recovered because i didn't believe so much i wanted to see with my own eyes i took it a bit step further i'm like i'm not sure that because this woman is a bit old i was like no we're not talking i want to see her so we called her and and we, i waited for some time and she came. I couldn't believe my eyes. This person that was, could not talk, could not eat, this person that had relied on machines was alive and well in front of my eyes. And boo to my faith. <laughs> boo to my own unbelief. 
And all of, that, and all of us have those moments. Those moments where some situations are like, yeah, this one is hopeless. But of course, as Christians, we're not going to say it's hopeless. We're going to find a verse to cover that up. But some situations are hopeless. Perhaps you have one of those situations in your life today where you're not even praying to God. Mary spoke about reading the Bible here. Maybe you're not even reading your Bible because what's the use? Because the situation is just hopeless. That's what, that's what this man was saying to Jairus. Your daughter is dead. In other words, the situation is hopeless. I've had times in my life where, this is one of few examples, where we went and we prayed for someone. You see someone well, you pray for them, and they don't recover. I've heard one of those. You pray for someone, and you're optimistic that they're going to recover, and they just don't recover. And, and you are left with an angry family asking questions. Why you prayed for them and they never recovered? We have those situations. We have those moments in my life. And, and, and those kinds of situations is what led me to my own crisis of faith. And I was like, God, how do you work? You pray for these ones. This one gets healed. You pray for that. The thing that I forgot and which Gareth like to repeat is that we should never have faith to our faith. But rather we should have faith in Jesus. That's what was happening there. He says that one of the repetitive themes that Luke emphasized in these three stories, so the three stories that we are talking about is the one of, of, of him coming up the storm and him casting out demons and just him healing this woman. One of the things, one of the narratives, one of the messages that, that Luke emphasizes is the fact that the people, the disciples, the crowd, were, were lacking a perception of who Jesus is. These people were just failing to identify. They were failing the identity of Jesus. Who is this person that is just standing next to them? And that's what, that's what the messenger that was bringing this message to, he, he, he failed to understand who was, who was standing there. He didn't know who was standing there. So that's why in his eyes, he said, oh, do not bother the master because it is, it is, it is too late. But look at how Jesus Christ responds. Jesus Christ responds to Jairus, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. So this is what Jesus Christ says to Jairus, don't be afraid. Don't be like the disciples on the boat when I was sleeping, they were afraid, they were panicking. Don't be like the people of that city when they saw a man being delivered, they responded with fear and in their fear, they rejected me. Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, believe and she is going to be made well. That's what Jesus says. And it's the opposite of the farmers in the previous chapters of how they responded. In other words, what Jesus Christ was saying to Jairus is that, Jairus, your fear must always give way to faith. Fear must always give way to faith. That's what uh, the disciples were lacking in the boat. The boat, the disciples were afraid of the storm, but they didn't recognize who was there with them. The people were afraid of, of, of their own well-being because they were farmers. They were losing their pigs. They were losing their, their money to pigs when they went into the... But they failed to understand who was standing there in front of them. And, and it says that uh, sort of like a, a, a lack of proper recognition of Jesus Christ, his identity, must always lead us to a continuous trust in God. When we, when we recognize and understand who Jesus is, what happens in, when, we, when we face difficult problems? Our faith becomes strong. 
We are no longer afraid of storms. We are no longer afraid of problems because we understand that it is Jesus Christ that is standing with us. Jesus, upon arriving in the house of Jairus, found mourners who were lamenting. Luke tells us that Jesus silenced the mourners by declaring that Jairus' daughter was asleep, but rather than dead. But telling the mourners that she was not dead, but asleep. Jesus was foreshadowing a life of victory, not only in sickness, but in death as well. So Jesus Christ arrives in this house and finds these people who are crying because their Jairus' daughter was dead. So Jesus comes there in that house and says to them, no, she's not dead, but she's asleep. And of course, how do these people respond? They respond by mocking him. And the funny thing is that who is mocking Jesus Christ? It is the very same crowd that was waiting for him. They were the ones who are mocking him. They are the ones who are laughing when he tells them that the daughter of Jairus is going to be asleep, is going to be, is asleep and is going to be able to wake up. And what I said is that Jesus was foreshadowing a life of victory, not only in sickness, but also in death as well. What Jesus Christ was saying to Jairus is that, Jairus, my man, I'm not just a, 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 a God. I'm not just Lord over sickness alone, but I'm Lord over death itself. That's what Jesus Christ was saying. That's why Jesus says, oh, she's asleep. She's not dying. She's not dead. She's asleep. Because Jesus Christ knew that he had the power to resurrect the daughter of Jairus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, Paul speaks about this. Paul says that through the resurrections of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ becomes the first fruits of all of those who have fallen asleep. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, he says that even in death, there is hope. There is hope in the resurrection. In other words, death itself for people who believe in Jesus, death itself for someone who has accepted Jesus Christ, it's not the end. It's not, it's, it's not the end because we serve a God, because our Lord is a Lord, not just of sickness, but of death itself. He conquered death on the cross. So whenever we confront death, we don't confront death with hopelessness and fear and all of that. But we, con we confront death as we continue, we confront it. We confront it with the hope. We confront it with the hope that if, if, if we fall asleep in Christ, there is life far beyond than the one that we have. So, uh, and the, the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the, the resurrection of Jairus' daughter and the healing of the woman proves that once more that Jesus is not only the Lord of life, but of death as well. So when Jesus Christ resurrected the daughter of Jairus, what did Jesus prove to his audience? What did Jesus prove to his disciples? What did Jesus prove to everybody that was there that day? Jesus proves that he's just not, he's not only the Lord of sickness, but he's also the Lord of death as well. And maybe what are some of the applications that we can take from today's passage? What are some of the applications we can apply in our life? I've said that as Lord of all, Jesus has unlimited power and authority to respond to the needs of each and every one. Now, Jesus as Lord uh, 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 has, has unlimited power, as we have seen in, in, in him coming up the storm, in him casting out Jesus. We see in him casting out the demons. We see this unlimited power that Jesus has. So what that power tells us is that our Lord and Savior is someone that has authority, is someone that has power and can be able to help us in times of our need. The same way that he helped Jairus, the same way that he helped that woman that was sick, 
Jesus Christ can help each and every one of us. Though being different in every way, both Jairus and the woman experienced the power of God through faith in Jesus. So is anybody who can place their faith in God. So the, 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 the power of God is available freely for everybody who places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said, his power is available to all. So it was available to heal that woman that was sick. It was available to, to, to resurrect the, Lord, uh, the daughter of Jairus. It is also available today to help us in whatever situation, in whatever situation of hopelessness that we are going through. And point number two, a proper recognition of who Jesus is will always lead to a faith that accompanies trust in the ability that Jesus as Lord of all can do everything. Unfortunately, this is something that the crowd and the disciples have been slow to understand. When we saw earlier how Jesus silenced the storms, the disciples were in amazement. Some of them even asked, who is this? And yet at the same time, we see them struggling in their faith and in their trust in God. So when Jesus calmed the storm, what happened? So the disciples were brought into this place where they were asking the right questions. Who is this that is with us? Who is this that we call master? Who is this person? But at the same time, immediately after that, we saw them struggling with the same thing again, with the recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. They are struggling with this. We see that as, as Peter asked Jesus Christ, what do you mean when, when you say that someone touched you? What, what, what do you mean? Because Peter by now should know that Jesus Christ responds to faith. But he fails to understand that. So, and the reason they fail is they don't recognize who Jesus Christ is. And it's no different today. Every miracle that Jesus, every miracle or every working of Christ, sort of like Christ was, every miracle that Jesus did, Jesus was pointing us to his nature. Jesus was pointing us to who he is. Because if someone can resurrect people who are dead, we should be asking who that person is. We should be interested in the nature of that person. If someone falls down and, and, and someone comes and resurrects that person, for sure we are going to be amazed. For sure we are going to ask questions about who that person is. So that's what Jesus Christ wanted to do to people. The miracles that he was doing, the, 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 every miracle that he was doing, he was pointing to him. I want you to know me. He was trying to reveal his identity to people as Lord and Savior of everything. So it's no different today. The miracles and the working of Christ back then until now are means that Christ is pointing us to him. Christ wants us to be blown away that our response will be, God, I know before you. So every miracle, everything that Jesus does, Jesus wants us, he's revealing his identity to us. He wants us to know him. He wants us like Jairus to reach a place in our life where we kneel down before him and recognize him as Lord and Savior of everything. I don't know where your faith is this morning. And perhaps you are a visitor that is exploring the claims about Christ. Or you are even someone that is returning after Alpha this past Wednesday. Or like the crowd, you are just excited about church on Sunday. Or like that woman or Jairus' daughter, you are just in a state of hopelessness. The good news this morning is that we have a Lord. And not just any Lord, but the Lord of all. And 
one of the things that we, we always do whenever we pray in the morning, when we are standing under the tree, is we always pray for experiences. We always pray that anybody who comes here today should not leave this place the same way. Because we understand who's here. We get it. We understand who's here. It's not just the walls and the pillars. Christ is here. The one who resurrected people from the dead, the miracle maker, the one who quiets the storms is here. He's here. So one of the reasons we always cry in the morning, God, let everybody who comes here not live the same, is because we want you to meet this Lord. We want you to meet this Lord of all. Because we know that once you meet this Lord of all, your life will never be the same. Once you meet Jesus, it's impossible. Anybody, you see this pattern in the Bible, everybody who met Jesus, their life was never the same. We see this in Jairus in these two examples. That's what Luke is communicating to us. Jairus came and met Jesus. His life was never the same. The woman that was bleeding for 12 years came and met the Lord of all. Her life was never the same. And anybody, that's our prayers, that you today, whether you are coming up for the first time, whether you are someone that was here uh, last Wednesday and just exploring about who Christ is, or you are just someone, as I've said, in the crowd, just, you are just happy to be on church on Sunday. We have to desire more than that. We have to want to more than that. We have to want to know who God is. You have to want to know about this Lord that we are singing about. You have to want to know him. You have to desire to know him. Imagine going to, imagine going to a place and you hear people sing about someone. And then you take no interest in that person. You hear people sing about someone, and then you just go, go back to wherever you're going, or you go back home. But the songs that we sing, the worship that we just heard right now, it's a revelation of who God is. We're trying to pick and we're trying to, God is trying, we're trying to poke at you, poke in your heart. Hey, look, Jesus is amazing. Hey, look, Jesus is working. Hey, look, Jesus is doing this. Because we want, to, want you to know the Lord of all. Because we know once you meet Jesus, your life will never ever be the same. And as I've said, that's the good news this morning. That we don't, we don't just have a Lord, but we have a Lord of all. And maybe some of us, this is a prayer that we need to make this morning. That God, I don't, I don't just want to be in your house on Sunday. That God, I don't just want to be in a place with other believers. But God, I want to know you. I want to know you as the Lord of all. I don't want to know you just as a Lord of certain things, but I want to know you as the Lord of all. And maybe this should be your prayer this morning, that God, I don't want to leave this place the same. I don't want to come here and live the same way that I've came, the same person that I was. I want to meet you. Because I've seen in the Bible that everybody who's met you, their life was never the same. And we are going to pray right now. We're going to eat the bread and we're going to the grape juice. And I just want us this morning to do it in a different attitude. The attitude of, God, I want to meet you. I want to meet this Lord of all. Jairus heard about Jesus and went to meet him. This woman heard about Jesus and in spite of everything that was happening in her life, in spite of her shame, she wanted to meet God. And that's my prayer this morning that this may be in your heart that God have been coming to church or I'm new I'm visiting for the first time but I don't just want to hear about you I want to know you this morning why don't you lift up the bread and lift up the grape juice Father God in the name of Jesus we bless 
the bread and we bless the grape juice. Holy Spirit, we want to meet the Lord of all. We want to see you, my God. We want to know you, my Father. Whether we are someone that is visiting us for the first time, we want to meet you and know you, Holy Spirit. God, I bless this. And, and I also pray, my God, for those who are perhaps here this morning and just having a crisis of faith, my God. And perhaps so many questions that they have, my Jesus. And I just pray this morning, my Lord, that as we eat and drink, my Father, that we may have an opportunity to meet you, Lord Jesus. I bless this biscuit as, as your bread and, and your body. And I bless this grape juice as your blood that cleanses all our sins. And when we eat, my Father, may we be blessed in Jesus' name. Why don't you lift up your hands? Why don't you lift up your hands if you are comfortable in doing so? And, and, and just make your own prayer to God and say, God, I want to know you this morning. I want to meet you. I want to meet this Lord of all. Perhaps I, I, I'm not looking for healing. I'm not, I'm not looking for... There's no situation that is so hopeless, but I'm looking for something more. I am looking for you, my God. I'm looking for something greater this morning. I'm not just looking for a church to belong to, but I'm looking for something far greater than that. I'm looking for a Lord over my life, a Lord of all. 